0: Hi, creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. I'd love to follow my dreams, but I think it's just too late for me. Have you ever started a sentence like that? I have. Ageism, fear of failure, self-doubt, and the inner critic can all drive thinking like that. But today's guest is going to show us why it's never too late to pursue your dreams and why creativity actually only gets better with age. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren Lagrasso. I'm Lauren Lagrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter public speaker, actor, and creative coach, and this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. Today's guest is an award-winning singer-songwriter, teacher at the prestigious Berklee School of Music, and all-around phenomenal human. Her name is Susan Cattaneo. Her last album, The Hammer in the Heart, charted number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart and yielded a number one song on folk radio and a top 10 album of 2017. Her latest album, All is Quiet, cracked open my heart in the most beautiful way. And you'll hear that on the interview today. It's a must listen. Like I have to gently insist that you listen to it. From our conversation today, you'll learn about ageism in the music industry and why it's worth fighting, how to start healing generational pain passed from mothers to daughters, the importance of stillness, rest, and quiet for the creative process, a writing exercise to help you get unblocked, and how your inner child can help inspire your next creative project. And since this is such an important conversation between two strong and powerful women that centers a lot on what it means to be a woman and fighting limits put against us. I do have to say that with the striking down of Roe v. Wade, my heart is with all of my female listeners and we will continue to fight for our rights. I'm heartbroken with you and stand in solidarity and yeah, it's been a tough week and I hope this episode brings you a little bit of healing and peace. Okay, now let's get to the episode. Now here she is. Get ready for part one of two with Susan (music) Catania. Deep breath. I am like fangirling out at the moment because I have an amazing human sitting with me. Her name is Susan, and is it Susan Cataneo? It's Catanio. Catanio. Are you Italian? Yes.
1: No. No. Not
0: at all. But I married an Italian,
1: and so I mispronounced my husband's name for like the first two and a half weeks that I knew him as well.
0: Okay, I love it. Well, I'm a hundred percent Italian, so you know, probably know by now, Italians are always looking for other Italians. There you go. <laughs> it's our stick. That's right. I'm so happy to be sitting with you. I mean, like your album, I, I told you briefly before we went into it, but please stop reading my diary. It's really rude of you to break into it like that. Um, I just, I think it's a love, a love song. All these songs are love songs to late bloomers, to deep feelers, to mothers and daughters and every everywhere. And I can't wait to deep dive into the songs and the lessons that they bring up. But before we get into that, I was telling you, I said yes to you when when your publicist pitched you to me before I even listened to your music, because I had a gut reaction that you were a very special person. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons was because she told me about how such a big part of your advocacy work is in fighting ageism in the music industry. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm also a musician outside of my podcast. And it's something I definitely battle with. You know, I'm in my early thirties, which in human years, isn't really that long, but in music years, they make you feel like you're over the hill already when you hit 30. And it's something that you've talked about. And it's something I've been really battling with myself, like, oh, shouldn't I be further ahead right now? Is it pointless? Like, what's the purpose of doing that? You wrote this beautiful piece about the ageism in the music industry, and I'm going to quote a little bit of it. It says, if my music career was a wine, it would be a priceless Cabernet noted for its complexity and depth a depth that could only come from time. But instead, the music industry doesn't value Asian women the way we value wine. And sometimes that leaves me feeling like a cheap box of Franzia. So take me into this. How do you even create art when you're riddled with these thoughts of it being too late? How do you not let that choke down your creativity? Well, it's, it's funny that you ask
1: that because I think, honestly, it's the fact that I've been in the industry for so long that helps me go forward you know it's the fact that i think i realized you know when you first start out and you're young and you're you're hungry and you'll do anything there's also this sense of like it's a sprint right i got i got to really get this and you know there's this constant sense of like while things are moving i have to really push i have to really promote and and after a while once you're in it for a good long period and i've been in the music industry for a bunch of years now you really get the sense that it's a marathon Mm. It's a marathon. And I think that, well, I mean, let's be honest. So certainly there are opportunities that are no longer open and available to me. So that's unfortunately just the way the music industry is
0: like, what would you say is one of those? And and why is it that way?
1: Well, I'm not going to be on American idol. I'm not going to, I'm probably not even going to audition for the voice because I don't have the kind of sound that that show is looking for. Right. and. You know, I remember one time I wrote this song and I performed it and this very, very well-known, I will not remain, not name his name, a uh, well-known newspaper music publicist came up to me, music radio writer, like whatever, came up and said, Susan, that song is a hit. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And he's like, not for you. And I was like, why not for me? <laughs> he's like, you're just too old. And and I was like, I mean, to hear it, to hear it actually said to me like that, it was, it was brutal. But I also realized with age, with time, came the fact that, and with the pandemic came the fact that I'm gonna create stuff because I really like making stuff. And I think that I have something to say that is different than somebody who is in their twenties, than somebody who's in their 30s. And so I've had I've had life experiences and I've developed my craft based on the fact that I've spent a lot of time you know I've put in my 10,000 hours to to become a master at what I do and I wouldn't have arrived at this point I wouldn't be writing the songs that I'm writing if I hadn't lived the life I have lived
0: yeah and I mean so many thoughts flood my head in hearing all of that number one I'm thinking like if Joni Mitchell auditioned for the voice in her heyday she wouldn't have gotten on and that's Crazy. It's crazy. And I was getting, when I was listening to your album, I seriously got Joni Mitchell vibes. I was like getting the Joni chills. Like you bring so much power and purity and beauty. Your voice, it's like a crystal, it cuts through. And your words are just, I can't even. So, in thinking about this whole topic, you know, if we're only hearing songs from like 20 year olds, we're missing out on such a rich, color of what happens after you're 20. Maybe part of the reason there's this fear around not getting older and like, let's lie about our age is because it's all we're consuming too, is that young perspective. Right. So yeah. I was curious how that hits you.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's definitely true. And, and I, you know, so I, I, I taught at, I taught songwriting at the Berkeley college of music for 20 years. So I've worked with I've worked on probably like 20,000 songs with so many different artists and different genres, but all young, right? And I think that you're right in the sense that what interests them is, is not necessarily what interests me thematically, right, in my songs. And there have to be people out there who enjoy hearing things other than what that demographic is writing. I mean, there just have to be <laughs> there are more people out there that would be enjoying it. And it's funny. I was on a, a phone call today with a friend who is a mom and she has a daughter and the daughter is having some adjustment issues to her life. And she said, you know, that song that you wrote about mothers and daughters, and she burst into tears on the phone with me. And she's I'm going like, you know, to burst into
0: tears, just like hearing you say the song you wrote about mothers and daughters, like that. I literally I could not believe I want to hear the rest of the story but I could not believe it because I was thinking yesterday somebody needs to write a song about generational trauma and the trauma that gets passed down when you're not aware of what your pain is. And then that yeah. song came on and I'm like, "Okay."
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know,
1: and and it 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 came from a really honest place for me because my mom is 93 and my daughter is 20 and so I'm bookended by these beautifully fabulous women in many ways. And the idea of like, you know, what has my mother taught me? What have I then taught my daughter about who I am as a woman, about what it is to be a woman in the world. And so going back to this friend, you know, she was just saying that for her, the song really resonated. And I remember hanging up the phone and thinking today, so I've re- I've reached somebody I've reached somebody, they're not in their twenties. You know, she's probably in her forties. I think she's, she's younger than I am. And, but she's like, you know, it, it it struck a note with her. And I feel like there is room, there is room for people of all different ages, genders, um, lifestyles, you know, to make music in the world, there's enough room for all of us to be creative and to have a say, we all have an important voice. And I, I really, I really hate the, the fact that that the music industry kind of marginalizes that or they could they get onto like a fad, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, we're really into this right now. So then everything expands into that area. But, you know, you're kind of ignoring this other thing that's going on.
0: What do you think is the way out of that? How do we make change and make waves for people of different ages? Well,
1: I mean, I just I think it has to happen from my experience I don't know that the music industry itself will ever come around. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think there was that moment when Lilith Fair, woo, and then it was like, oh, women singer-songwriters, we're finally on the map. And then that faded away. And at the time, you know, I was writing country music and, mm-hmm. you know, was told literally, like, you know, there's that whole article about the the radio DJ who said that, you know, if if country music were a salad. You know, women are the, the tomatoes and we can't have too much, too many tomatoes. So it just, <laughs> I'm like, what? And when I was writing country music, there were, there were no, that women were not being played at all on country radio. And that's yeah. still the case. It was like a bro, a bromance thing.
0: I heard in general on radio, women only make up 18 or maybe it was more like 28, but it was definitely way under 50% of the yeah. music that's getting played.
1: Yeah, oh definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And so I don't I don't know that we can I don't know if we're going to change the music industry, but mm-hmm. I think that what I am finding on a local on a local stage and then on a national stage but a local national stage is the fact that if I create faces for women of different types, ages, etc., they come. They come mm-hmm. and they respond and so it's it's not like they are not interested or willing to be part of something creative that's going on
0: as the artist or as a creative, like how do we, as women get over age shame? How, how do you kind of contend with that on a daily basis and convince yourself that it's not true and doesn't have to hold you back? Uh,
1: It's such a really good and important question. And the honest truth is that when I wrote that article that you quoted at the beginning, I had this moment of like, Oh my God, am I going to do this? Am I really going to send this in? Am I going to admit that I'm in my 50s? Oh, my God. I mean, literally, like after years of kind of like crafting my bio so that my bio was like, you know, Susan, experienced songwriter, not like, you know, not quoting the number of years. And I don't know something about the pandemic. I have to say, like, that's the one awesome thing about the quarantine is that, you know, there's nothing like being
0: with yourself. (laughs) <laughs> Forever for so many months. No escape.
1: And, lo- and looking at yourself and examining yourself and self thought to really feel like, what am I waiting for? What are we waiting for? The, the more fear I have about getting myself out into the world, that's just wasting time. Time is passing. So, I mean, I feel like that's for, for anybody who is trying to do something that is a little scary, whatever that happens to be my advice would be like, you've got to do it. You've got to just do it because what are you
0: waiting for? Right. I totally agree. And I think that the pandemic was kind of like a near death experience for all of us. I agree. It yes. really made us question, how am I living? Am I really living? And yes, what could bring me closer to myself?
1: I completely agree. And I think also when things started, you know, last summer, when things started to open up, you know, there was this kind of gold rush, of musicians trying to get gigs and trying to book tours. And I remember feeling this, like this, like return to that level of like worry and stress that I had before the pandemic where it was like, Oh my God, am I doing enough for my career? Am I pushing enough for this? Like, do I have enough gigs? How did they get the gig? I didn't get the gig. Why didn't they get, I mean, I just, it was like, oh, and I had this moment where it's like, I do not want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. When I play music, um, there, I have this sense of, I'm not really, I'm not really religious, but I am spiritual. Mm-hmm. And when I play music, I have this. And when I write, I have this sense of like this connection to something greater than myself and this joy of, like, I literally feel like I'm looking out at the audience. And I'm like, I love every one of you. And when I'm playing it, I'm like, I love you. I love you. Guitarist. I love you, drummer. And I just, I just feel like this joy and, I want to do as many opportunities that bring out that rather than this constant I think I was in this constant loop of you know social media is like crack for insecure singer songwriters where it's like it's just this this tableau of what are people doing and what are you not doing and oh yeah I I don't I just I just
0: refuse to have that come back into my life so it's great that you've mentally Refuse to do it, but how do you practice that every day? Because it's very easy to get pulled back into that vortex of negative thinking and and really obsessive thinking. I struggle with it too. So, what are you actually doing to practice staying in the joy versus the comparison?
1: It's not an easy thing because there are times, as rightly as you said, where I get kind of pulled back. So, an event will trigger me, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm not good. Nobody cares. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna go hide in my house." Um, And I guess that the only thing that has been helping me is to, first of all, the awareness of that, right? So I'm aware that I'm doing that and I take a moment and I try and step back and I have a, a thing on my phone where I've saved some lovely things that people have said to me over the years. And I reread that and I know it sounds really silly, but I reread it and I'm like, oh, And then I try and look at all of the good things that have happened in my career. And I try and really focus on that and be like, you know, hey, that well, that happened. That was pretty good. And and I think I kind of come around to it. I also meditate every day. And I also do a form of writing. It's not like morning pages, kind of like morning pages, but it's more, it's what we call it, Berkeley object writing. Mm. And so you take an object and then you use it you describe it. It's like a it's kind of like a Harry Potter port key where like you you touch it and you go to a location and then you describe that location. And you're supposed to do it for 10 minutes every single morning. And I do it for a half an hour every single day. And I find that even if I choose a lame object like you know, pen or whatever it happens to be, I will find a way to let it express what is going on with me. It's a wonderful, the writing really saves me. And I do that every single morning. And I learn things about myself as I'm writing. I'm like, oh, that's why I chose that object. It almost feels like intention afterwards. I'd be like, oh, that's, I needed to write about a pen because I was struggling with my writing. And so, but once I got in there, I felt a command of the language you know, for me, like songwriting and writing in general feels like a great big puzzle where it's almost like I have all the pieces and I just need to kind of put them in the right order. And so it's a lot of like moving things around and be like, that's that work. No, oh, that goes work over here. And so the daily writing, the daily practice, I practice the guitar. That really helps me too, because I, um, I'll, I'll just sing along to some songs. And I remember that singing is really wonderful and that yeah. getting oxygen to your brain is really good. And so so that's what I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that that part of doing the thing you love daily is so important. I don't know. It's easy to forget you're even a singer or a songwriter or a guitar player if you're not touching it at least several days a week but hopefully daily like it's funny that you said about just singing like yesterday I'm like I haven't done a gig in so long do I even write music anymore am I still a singer am I still? and then I just did a 20 minute warm up and I'm like wow I f- I don't feel depressed anymore <laughs> like
1: yeah it's, it's just, so true
0: just such little things can take you out of your spinning and into your body and I think that's just fabulous advice when I I also have
1: like I have a playlist of music that I just love. And it's kind of like my go-to. And, um, so I will listen to that and I'll be like, Oh, I love this song. And it's like, you know, all, all of my playlist from probably age 17 to (laughs) probably 30. So it's like old, older, older music, but I just love it. And I sing along to it and I'll sing along while I'm walking outside. And I'm thinking, I don't know what, and I'll harmonize. (laughs) Oh "Oh my God. If anyone walks past me and I'm just, (laughs) I'm singing like a third above some weird random, you know, folk song and, you know, but I love it. And I feel better about that. Like I love, I love immersing myself in music that, that connects me to why I love music. Yeah, so
0: I love that, and and I think it's so funny too, because like when you're singing in public, you you secretly hope no one catches you, but then <laughs> and they do, you're like ah, oh, nothing yeah. to see here, it's all fine. I know, <laughs> we're fine, we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I would love to, I would love to catch that someday on the Boston streets. Hopefully, fingers <laughs> crossed. <God>. I know. <laughs> so okay, let's transition into some of the amazing music that this depth that has come with age has brought to you. Because as I said in the beginning, oh my gosh, this album is a masterpiece. All is quiet. I made the grave mistake of listening to your album while I was getting ready for an event and I cried off all of my eye makeup. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm not sorry. It was was just what I needed. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what inspired this masterpiece of an album, All is Quiet.
1: When the pandemic happened in March of 2020, I had initially, so my prior album was a double album called The Hammer and the Heart, and it had 41 musicians on it. And I recorded it with like everyone I loved. It was like a circus. I mean, and I produced it myself. So it was a a lot of work and it had, it's two discs and one is the hammer and that's the rock side and the other one's the heart and that's the folk side. And it was awesome and it was really stressful. And so I had already made the decision that whatever happened after this huge monolith of an album, I was going to do something quiet. So I knew Um, I was going to do something quiet already. And I have two college age kids and I knew they were going to be leaving. And I was like, oh, this is going to be an album about what it is to be in an empty nest, like the silence of an empty house and la la la. And then, of course, you know, 2020 happened And both our kids moved back in with us from college. So suddenly we were not so quiet, but what happened for me as an artist is that for the first time in my life, I had nothing to say. And that was incredibly scary. I, I'm a pretty prolific writer, co-writer collaborator. I write short stories. I'm, I'm kind of busy doing creative stuff. And I didn't do anything for the first three months of 2020. And I I ate Oreos and watched the Great British Baking Show, <laughs> bought a mixer, <laughs> thought I was going to be a baker for a while, but I'm not a good baker. And I thought every time I would get an idea for a song, I thought to myself, well, I know I don't really feel like writing it. And I had never felt like that. And you know, in those, in those first early days, remember, like, we didn't know if you would ever be able to perform live music again. Remember, like we didn't know. Oh yeah. I and mean, I, I was I,
0: totally blocked too. I think most people were, and I was still teaching remote. I, so we went, you
1: know, to remote immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I was still, you know, generating songs with my students and stuff, but as an artist myself, I felt like maybe I'm done. Maybe I have nothing more to say. And that was so. Terrifying to me because it almost felt like I had lost some connection to some to to whatever grounds me, you know, in the world. I, I really was lost for the first three months, and then I was talking to a friend of mine. This is actually a cool story, and I was going through old pictures, and I found an old picture of myself as a little girl, and somebody was like, "You know what? You should do instead of." You know, what you normally do when you see a picture of of you as a young child, you're like, oh, what would I tell my younger child? You know, you'd be like, when you're 16, don't drink tequila because it'll make you sick. And when you're 21, you're going to fall in love and it's not going to work out, but it's going to be, you know, all those things. Instead of thinking about what you would tell your child, what would your child tell you? And that led me to the first song that I wrote in the pandemic, which is actually the last song on the album and it's called follow and it's about following your intuition mm. and i didn't you know i i play the guitar minimally i'm like i'm okay i can chunk along rhythmically but i'm not a good guitarist but i'm a singer and so i was here in this room and i had garage band and i just started messing around with a vocal about what this following your intuition and following this little girl and what that meant and I was like, oh, this is really interesting and different for me. And I, it's so funny because I think because I was feeling so vulnerable, I capoed the guitar up higher. So I Mm. was singing in a much higher register than I normally do. And so I wrote this song and it was like multiple harmonies and a very simple guitar track. And I was like, oh, this is, I really like this song. And it felt like that unblocked me. And Then I started to kind of dive into really writing as vulnerable as I've ever been in my life. I think that that is was the thing that was really important to me. And I think that's something also that comes with age is that I think in my twenties I was not willing to kind of show myself in the way that I am now. I I really feel like I I have nothing to lose, and I'm going to just lay it all out there. So. So that was the start. And then I wrote, I wrote the nine songs for it. And, and all like they're different ones. They have different themes that, you know, that came out for me. And, uh, and, and that was how the album came together. And, it, you know, I wanted to call it all is quiet because the first song that I wrote the the first track on the album is about what that felt like to feel creatively muted, to feel like what happens when, I I don't, I can't make music that way. What happens mm-hmm. to me? So
0: yeah, I mean, a few things that that brings up. I mean, you said you couldn't express yourself like that in your 20s. I, I thought I knew myself in my 20s and I think I did know myself as much as I could in your, my 20s, but each decade from my experience and from other elders who I've spoken with, it seems that we get a deeper inner knowing and how can you show yourself when you don't know yourself? Exactly. And and so it's beautiful that you've done a new, even deeper level of unfolding with this album. But the album title brought this thought to me because I do think part of the creative process is actually that quiet, is actually going away and maybe doing absolutely nothing for a time. And I think in the hustle culture pre-pandemic, we didn't ever get the opportunity to do that. And in this, we were required to do that on some level. So I'm curious from your point of view, now that you've experienced that, when do we need to get quiet? And when is it the time to share? And how do you know that as an artist?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, I I can only speak from my personal experience and that there now that you know things are opening up, quote unquote opening up to whatever <laughs> extent that means, you know, I I think that trying to maybe not accept every single gig. I I think that that's something, you know, I used to run around like a crazy person. And I think that I'm I'm probably not going to do that um, in the way that I was pre-pandemic. I also have this feeling, it's so funny because everything feels like it's changed. So whereas before it would be like, oh my gosh, I have to do this and this and this and this and this. And now I have the sense of, when I start to feel that amount of stress, I'm like, Oh, I need to take something off my plate. So I'll move something to, to the next week. And, and for some reason, I'm able to almost give myself a little self-care that way. I think that's something that I didn't do very well as a, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a mom. I'm, I'm in service to a lot of other people. And that means that a lot of the time I forget about taking care of myself. And I think that this period of time has given me the insight to know that, that there are times when I need to kind of be quiet and that that's okay. Like, I think I, I was afraid of the quiet before this time.
0: Quiet is scary. It's scary, especially when you haven't ever let yourself slow down or be quiet, or you're used to constantly filling your time with activities or people or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think there are such subtle addictions in life that we don't pay attention to. Like, that's something I've really been noticing lately. It's it's hard for me to sit in actual quiet. Like, I almost always have a podcast going or um, music going or I'm watching a show in the background or I'm working on something. Like, I hardly ever just sit with myself. And so I'm trying to challenge myself to do that in like two minute increments because anything more than that feels really, really scary. But I think that that must be part of why this album is so brilliant, which is because you detached from everything you knew and had to start from a fresh slate.
1: I did. I did. And I didn't even, you know, I didn't have the the kind of instrumentation that I was used to, you know, I, I'm used to working in a band and, you know, having there be a certain level of noise, a le- level of like beautiful musical noise, you know, and I would write a song and then I'd practice it with my band and, then we'd kind of refine it and then we'd go out and play it. And it was just me, <laughs> just me for a long time. And, and, you know, it's cool because you end up really, really focusing on what I like about it is that you really end up focusing on not only what you put in the structure of the song, mm-hmm. but what you don't put in the structure of the song. And I think that that is the magic because there was, there's one song on the album called blackbirds. Right. And so I was writing that song and I had this whole concept, it was going to be, it's a, It's based in, you know, my husband and I, we've been married for 30 years, yay, yay for us, but I come from divorced parents. He comes from non-divorced parents. And so when we have a conflict, I think that the possibility of it not working out is much more of a realistic thing for me than it is for him. Mm. And so it's, so I had this idea of like writing that idea of two people coming together with a kind of a different concept of what happy ever after means. And I thought I'm going to do it through a folk fairy tale, right? So I took the four and 20 blackbirds and I wrote this incredibly overwritten thing. <laughs> it was just like, oh, I had four and twenty blackbirds. I literally like named all the blackbirds. There was like the blackbird of sadness and the blackbird of grief and the blackbird of oh my God. There were so many blackbirds <laughs> in the song. And I hated the song, hated the song. It had like a different musical thing. I hated it. And I just was like I really want to make this work. And so what I did, I threw the baby and the bathwater out completely. And I rewrote the song. And every time I thought, oh, I'm going to put something in here. I'm like, no, I am going to leave space. And I'm going to try and be the most minimal that I can be lyrically in this song and try and tell the story in as small and concise a a way as possible. And that was like a beautiful thing for me because it was like, it really had to be like boiled down like, like jam. You know what I mean? I started with like a a barrel of fruit and I end up with like a small jar. And I think for me, that was the beauties of not having so many things going on is that I could really take the time and focus on
0: that. So that is such a great exercise too, though, because, you know, sometimes when you're, you said you hated the song and sometimes I feel like when it's some sort of creative thing and you're like hating it, it's because you hate Like the joy has somehow been sucked out of it because you're trying to make it perfect.
1: Yeah. And totally.
0: I love that you had the courage and the inner knowing to scrap it and start from fresh. Like, that's such a great tip for anyone out there who's dealing with some sort of creative project. And it's just like you've put a lot into it, but it's not giving you what you know it could give you.
1: Right, right. Well, and, you know, I think also the idea of, you know, overwriting. I think that that happens a lot and surprisingly did not happen for me in, in this, in this solitary that I was in, but you know, in the past, certainly with songs, I've just like reworked them and reworked them and reworked them. And to the point where like, they're just, they're so the, the writing is, is visible for me. Mm. Like when I hear a song and it's like, Oh, the writing is apparent. Then, then I'm not as interested in it. Cause it feels like, Oh, I, the craft it's almost like I can see the craft in it. And. I, that, that kind of music just doesn't kind of hit my heart.
0: You mean when it's very strategic in the writing, when you're like, oh, they were trying to do this here and that, and you're not feeling it, you're out of your heart and into your head. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or,
1: or even sometimes like, you know, sometimes i mean I hate to, to not, I don't want to trash country music, but sometimes country music it'll be like, Oh God. And it's a, it's a, it's a dad and a son. Oh God. And they're going to kill off the dad. And then they're, this is going to happen. You know, it's just, it feels so yeah. like, no. Well, and it feels so, it doesn't feel real. Right. So it feels like, Oh, this was crafted by people in a studio who were like, oh, let's be super clever and creative. And we're going to do this like metaphor and it doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't feel a connection to that Um, I used to write that. So interesting. For me, like, I don't like the kind of writing where it it feels so it's like, it it feels manipulative, I Mm -hmm. guess, is how I would describe it. So
0: right. Rather than sharing an experience, it's trying to force you to feel something. Right, right. So let's talk about something that was very true and gut wrenching, which is borrowed blue, your song. Okay, this is what really got me started crying last night. (laughs) The intergenerational, this is how I took it, the intergenerational trauma and pain shared between mothers and daughters and recognizing that and stopping it so that the next generation doesn't have to feel it, even if it was put into you accidentally, making sure that the next generation doesn't have to feel it. Can you talk about what inspired this song and what it means to you? So this song, my, my daughter was applying to
1: college and just was a mess. She was a mess. She was so insecure about herself and about, you know, and I I think she's wonderful. Like she's so wonderful and she's funny and really smart and, and, and very like clever and very kind. And I couldn't believe that she couldn't see any of that, you know? And it was terrible for me. It was just, it was terribly painful. And I thought, what, what did I do as a mother? Why is she so insecure? Like, what, what could I have done differently? And, and I was like, ha, has my, have the baggage that I inherited? You know, I'm, I'm the youngest of four, divorced parents. And I'm, my siblings are like older than I am. So it's almost like I'm like an only child and the youngest child in a family of four. Like I I have both the only child and youngest child thing going on. And so I spent a lot of time alone in growing up and I I was bullied and it made me insecure about who I am and wanting to kind of advocate for myself in the world and feeling like I wasn't worthy. And I was like, oh my God, have I somehow translated this to her why does she feel like that and what can I do to make it not happen you know and I think that it was funny because I wrote the song and it felt so I was so afraid to play it for her because I was like oh my god like I really feel like this is so vulnerable and so like oh my god this is how I feel and so we're sitting in the car and she had just come out of like a class and and I was like I've written a song for you. And she was like, you have? And I was like, "Yes." so, but I can't, I can't look at you. So can I play it? And then I'll, (laughs) I'll look this direction and you look that direction. (laughs) So I played her the song and I turned and looked there and she is like crying and I'm crying. And it was this really wonderful moment where she's like, she said to me something that really, she's like, I feel like you, I feel like, I feel like I've been seen. You've seen me. And, and that really, that really meant a lot to me. So it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't make her less insecure, but I think that every time she hears the song, she knows that at least I'm in her corner, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I think it's just like the fact that you were able to recognize that is so healing because that's what I've come up against recently. You know, it's like I have the best mom. She's the most amazing person. She always made me feel loved and cherished and very special, honestly. But because her insecurities and her feelings of a lack of worthiness were so deeply seated without even knowing it, with with every good intention, she passed it on to me. And I've questioned so many times. I have good parents. You know, I they told me I could do anything. They believed in me. They were at every show. Why do I still have this feeling of I don't deserve it. I need to earn worthiness. I'm not enough. And I think everybody struggles with that on some level. But it was especially hard for me to understand because I had that support. And just hearing you call out that this generational thing happens when when we have a hole inside of us that we're not aware of It's inevitable that it gets passed down to the next generation. And the fact that you were able to at least acknowledge it gives her a chance and gives her child in the future a chance.
1: I hope so. I really hope so. But yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And and I, and I hate that, you know, I hate that because I, you know, I, I wish that, that I could have gone about the world in a more confident way, because I think, you know, I, I, I still struggle with that even now. And at least, I mean, I, at least I think I'm talking about it. So I think that I, I acknowledge it, and, and I'll, I'll even say like, oh, you know, this was, this was really hard for me. It made me really insecure. And cause it made me think of this other thing that made me really insecure. And, and I'm like, but you know, I know that that's not necessarily real. That's not really what's happening right now. It's just, it's just tied me to this Canyon of sadness that I, right. that I, that I carry around. And I think that, you know, for both my kids talking about mental health is so important. And I, I think that when i was growing up there really wasn't that there 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 was just no there wasn't any resource for for anyone who was going through a hard time and you know so at least at least i i feel like we as parents are doing a good job of of making sure that our kids are getting the help that they need and you know and what's awesome is that so my daughter as a great example so she went to a college that was That even like, even as she went to it, both my husband and I were like, this is not the right college for her, but it's where she wants to go. So we're going to be like, okay. And it, it didn't work out and she had to come home from the pandemic. And so she took a year off and then reapplied and is now out in Los Angeles and loves it. Aww. And I like, has really like found her place and is blossoming in a way that I haven't seen before. And it's not only blossoming like academically, I don't really care about that, but she's finding that she has solid friendships, that she's feeling like, okay, in the world, you know, she's feeling okay about herself in the world. And, and it's independently of me, which I think is also really wonderful. So it's not me saying you're wonderful, you know, <laughs> it's, she's finding her own way to be wonderful out in the world. And so I'm so excited that we've kind of moved
0: through that. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And it it does have to come from you. I mean, it's like at a certain point, if we've incurred some sort of messaging about ourselves, whether it's through words that were said to us or some sort of epigenetic coding, it's still our responsibility to deal with it. And, right. and, you know, some things aren't fair, but it's still our responsibility to deal with it, move through it, and heal it as much as we can until the next hurdle comes up. And then we have to readdress the wound again because new level, right. new devil. It right. happens. Oh, love that expression. <laughs> Me too. I use it all the time now. But, yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And she really found her way back to herself on her yeah. own. But, yeah, it's just... I love that you're writing about things like this and I want more people to do it because this stuff, it's deep and it's real and it's nothing I could have thought of when I was in my 20s. So it's amazing that your daughter's already thinking about it too. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Susan Cataneo. Be sure to check out part two of our conversation airing next Wednesday, July 6th. It's a must listen. In the meantime, follow Susan on Twitter at Susan Cattaneo and pick up her album, All is Quiet, wherever you buy or stream your music. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Susan at Susan Catanio so she can reshare. My wish for you this week is you stop putting limits on yourself because of your age or where you're at in life. You're never too old or too young to start being yourself, taking up space and pursuing what's on your heart. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.